texts, which are Luke 11, 1, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and Revelations 4, 1 through 11. Please read along as I read aloud. Luke 11, 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Revelations 4, 1 through 11. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is God's word. About three or four years ago, my husband and I had the opportunity to have lunch with John Tyson. Many of you know John or you know who he is. He's been a friend of our community for a while. He's the lead pastor of church in the city, in New York City. 
author of a bunch of books and honestly, one of the voices that I lean into when it comes to discipleship and what God is doing in cities. So we took him to lunch and uh, we spent about two hours with him and I had a big notebook that I pulled out and uh, literally about 50 questions that I had prepared in advance. And um, because I'm a little bit of an overachiever, guys. And so I had all these questions. I'm like, oh, I ask it all these things. And one of the questions I said to John, I said, John, what would you say to yourself 20, 20 years younger? Like, what, what advice would you give if you could go back 20 years? And what he said has stayed with me. A lot of the other stuff I forget, I'd have to go pull out that notebook. A lot of wisdom, a lot of really just cool advice and encouragement. But what he said in answer to that question struck me. And he said, Ruthie, I would cultivate a deeper personal life of prayer and I would cultivate a deeper corporate prayer in my church. And I remember thinking, huh, not go study more, not get more therapy, not some like things along the way that he's picked up little tips and tricks, but develop a deeper life of prayer. I walked away from that meeting thinking, am I cultivating a deep life of prayer? Are we as a church cultivating a deep life of prayer? We are in a series called A House of Prayer. If you're visiting today, welcome. You are jumping in to what is gonna be a, a series of sermons unpacking the Lord's Prayer. And you know, as I reflected on that conversation with John and I thought about why we pray and how we pray and what we wanna see God do. I got thinking about revival and you know, I'm not like a revival expert. I haven't studied revivals, you know, whether you call it revival or a move of God or God breaking in, whatever you wanna name it. I'm not an expert on that. But what I do know is it does not happen apart from prayer. That prayer is central. It's front and center to when God shows up and does something radical. I've been in San Francisco for 23 years now, and if you're newer to the city, I want to encourage you. Because I'm sensing and feeling God doing something in our city that I haven't sensed before. I think we're on the edge of something. I think God is doing something new and fresh. And I wanna encourage you because sometimes the news is always bad. And you open up all those apps like Nextdoor and Citizen and it's just like, oh my gosh, is there anything good happening? And church, I wanna remind you, there is good happening. God is at work in San Francisco. And it's gonna be, some of it is gonna be because we enter into prayer. Because we cultivate it personally and corporately. So with that in mind, let's start in prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us this morning. I sense, you know, Lord, that you're just wanting to meet each one of us where we're at today. And some of us are here and we're feeling a little distance from you. And that's okay because Jesus, you came to meet each one of us. Doesn't matter if we feel distance, if we feel close, Holy Spirit, you're here. And Lord, there are some of us here that we're just like on the edge of our seat. We're just like ready. We're just so eager and that's okay. You're here for all of us, wherever we're at, whatever we've brought into this room, whatever we're carrying, whatever we're struggling with, you're here. And Holy Spirit, I just wanna express dependence on you this morning. We need you, I need you. This word this morning is not necessarily an easy word, but I think it's a word that each of us need. And so would you open our hearts, however we came here, would you open us, Jesus, to receive from you and encounter you today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
If I went around the room this morning and I asked each one of you to, to respond honestly about your prayer life, I think there would be a common thread that would surface. If I said, you know, tell me about just an ordinary average day of prayer for you. What does it look like? What do those moments look like? I think there would be a theme. And that theme would be that many of our prayers start with us. That's where we start, with our life, with our circumstances, what's going on with us. And depending on your personality or what's happening in your life, it could manifest in a variety of ways. Maybe number one, your prayers maybe start with needs or tasks. Maybe you're that person that opens up your Bible or you know, is driving down the road, you're talking to God and say, okay, God, I, I got this thing I need this help with. I've got this important meeting. I've got this difficult child. I've got this sickness thing. I've got like some stuff that I just need to, I just bring, I bring the list to you. I've got a list of needs. Maybe you're the kind of person that opens up your calendar even and you're like, okay, God, this is my week. I give you my week. Here's all the things, all the people, all of what's going on in my life. Maybe you find that your prayers come from a place of desperation. Maybe actually you're starting your prayers with like, help me, God. I don't know what's going on, God. Like, this is so confusing. Like, I need help. Things are desperate. Maybe you find yourself kind of bursting out, blurting out those immediate discouragements and places where you feel lonely or defeated. Or perhaps your prayers start with just that good intention of like, okay, I'm gonna get focused on God. I'm gonna enter into prayer. But very quickly, you find that voice of shame creeping in. Very quickly, you're distracted with thoughts like, why is prayer so hard? Why haven't I figured this out? I think I'm screwing it up. I think I'm letting God down. What's wrong with me? Or maybe you are flooded with past sin or mistakes or regret. And before you know it, you're just like spiraling and you're like, well, two minutes and I'm done because that was just really difficult. If, I, if we were honest, many of us would admit to, yeah, my prayers start with me Sometimes they end with me. Well, let me say this. If any of those things you feel like, yep, I relate, me too. Every one of those examples is an example from my own life, not only historically, but within the last few weeks. That's often how our prayers start. Needs, wants, desperation, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. In fact, if you open up the book of Psalms, you're gonna find a whole bunch of psalmists that are like, God, help me, things are bad and we need you. Like there's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. But we are studying the Lord's Prayer and what's interesting is that Jesus presents a different kind of prayer to orient our lives around. See, Jesus starts prayer by putting the focus on God first. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God first. Last week, Dave unpacked this idea of Father. That Jesus starts to teach us how to pray by naming God as Father. Our position as His children, there's intimacy, accessibility, closeness. That God wants to be known by you. That God knows you. There's a level of affinity and relationship and experience with. That's where Jesus starts. But then He goes on to four other words. Hallowed be thy name. Some old language here. I mean, what, is, what does that even mean, this word hallowed? Like how many of us go about life talking about 
things being hallowed. And to some degree, it's like maybe over familiar to some of us, right? Like we were just raised on that prayer. We could recite it. But what does it even mean? Well, this morning, I wanna unpack these four words for us. And I wanna use this lens that Jesus is saying, hallowed be thy name. It's both a proclamation and a petition. So let's start with proclamation. When Jesus says, hallowed be thy name or hallowed be your name, he's making an announcement about God. It's a statement of truth about who God is, about his character. This word hallowed translates to the best we can do is like holy, honored, set apart, something other, something sacred. This is strange for us. This word holy, this word like something sacred or honor, hallowed, it's strange for us. It's not familiar in our culture, but it would not have been strange for Israel. You see, it wasn't a stretch for them to think of God as holy. Their experience with God being delivered out of Egypt, brought into the promised land. God was their deliverer. God was a holy God. God was like, not like the gods of Egypt. God was different. He was other. He was set apart. He is something that they'd never experienced before. God was holy. In fact, in Exodus 15, Moses and Miriam sing a song and they say this, who is like you? O Lord among the gods, who is like you? majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Who is like you? There's no one like you. Nobody else has rescued us. Nobody else could have done what you have done. You're holy, you're majestic, you're different. The prophets of the Old Testament continue this kind of holiness language. In Isaiah 6, you read the following, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were fly, flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts, threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. See, Isaiah's response to God's holiness is one of both awe and humility. His perspective of God is elevated and he's caught up in wonder and reverence and worship. And at the same time, he sees his own sin. He recognises his brokenness. He sees that God is totally other, completely perfect and majestic and nothing like him. See, that's what happens. God's holiness draws us into worship. We realise that he's good, but not just good, the source of all goodness. And because he's good, he's completely trustworthy. He's beautiful and faultless and unworldly, just and kind, completely other, like nothing we've ever experienced. And at the same time, we are brought near in wonder. We find ourselves also compelled to bow low in humility. We see our smallness, our sin, 
our failures, our brokenness, and we kneel because we recognize that it's grace alone. It's Jesus alone. It's the cross and the blood that allows us to even be in the presence of God. And you might think, well, Ruthie, that's some Old Testament heavy scripture we're reading today. Like, that's kind of intense. Like, me and Jesus, like, we just kick it. We're friends. We're cool. I just, like, talk to him when I need him, call on his name. This holiness thing, that was back in the day. Well, Ralph so beautifully read for us this morning, Revelation 4. You know it's gonna be an intense service when you start in the book of Revelation. <laughs> it's like, oh, strap in. And in the book of Revelation, John has this vision and he's taken up to the throne room in heaven. And there's this throne and then there's 24 other thrones and then these, these 24 elders and there's lightning and thunder and these crazy lamps blazing and these creatures that are kind of creepy. I mean, not creepy because it's God, but really kind of creepy because they're covered in eyes. It's like, whoa, intense. And just like in the book of Isaiah, we hear again this holy, holy, holy. It says day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This throne room, it's like nothing we could ever really experience. It's like nothing we've ever really thought of. Like what is going on here? And if we were honest, most of us don't know what to do with this kind of imagery, this kind of holiness and adoration. And it's just like, it feels foreign to us. You're like Ruthie, I, I really like the Our Father part. Can we just like skip over the hallowed be your name? Can we skip over the holiness? Can we just avoid talking about that? Because it's difficult. I can't wrap my arms around it. I can't quite understand it and I get it. But Jesus names it right here up front in the Lord's Prayer. He talks about God being holy. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons is that God's holiness frames all of the Lord's Prayer. Frames it all. Everything we pray from this point on is rooted in the fact that God is a holy God. See, how do we pray thy will be done if God's will is not good and perfect? How do we dare ask, forgive us our sins, unless we believe that one encounter with our gracious God can cleanse us, change us and transform us? How can we believe in the power of God to deliver us from the evil one unless he is awesome in deeds and mighty in power? See, God's holiness frames everything that we pray. See, if God is not holy, if he is not other or sacred or set apart, if he's simply some kind of creature or glorified human, similar to us with a tendency towards selfishness or evil, if he's untrustworthy, lacking perfect goodness, then how do we pray? How do we entrust our lives to him? How do we follow him? Why do we follow him? But church, God is holy, holy, holy. And all day and all night, the angels declare what is true. And we are invited in. Church, we're invited in. Sometimes when you talk about holiness, it's like, whoa, this is kind of uncomfortable. 
God seems so great and I'm so aware of my stuff, but church, we're invited in because of Jesus. We're invited in to this throne room experience to say, God, you're worthy. God, you're majestic. God, it's by grace I stand here alone. Church, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you were wowed by God? When was the last time that you entered into worship, whether it was at church or driving down the street or at home, your quiet time, wherever it was, when was the last time that you were so moved, so caught up in God's presence that you lost track of time? That you just became completely aware, unaware of the people around you, that you, you were like, I don't even know. I don't even know where I am. I'm just caught up in the moment. When was the last time you experienced that kind of encounter with God's holiness? I could name a handful of times in my life where I felt caught up like that, where I've had encounters with God's holiness, in particular when I was 16. I won't tell you that whole story, but I'll tell you is that when I was 16, I had this supernatural encounter with God that had me kind of pinned to my bed. It was this kind of Isaiah moment where I was like, this is amazing and I can't even move because I'm so like in awe of God. And I will tell you that marked me. It changed me. I don't know why I had that encounter. I didn't muster it up. I didn't check off a few boxes of like good works and then God blessed me with it. By His grace, I had this encounter, but it marked me and changed me. You see, Jesus knows that when we start with a focus on God in prayer, when we recognise Him as both Father and Holy, when we draw near in intimacy, bow low in honour, when we join with all of heaven, we are changed. From these encounters, our trust deepens, our faith increases, courage takes root. Our prayers come not from human perspective or, perspective or wisdom, but they're birthed in the heavenly realm with heavenly perspective. See, the needs and tasks that we started with that were overwhelming and so big and just like list, list, list. Suddenly we see them through a different lens of possibility because we have a holy, majestic, incredible God. And the overwhelm and the brokenness and the sense of failure and defeat and discouragement suddenly reframed through a lens of hope because, oh my gosh, I'm in the throne room and I'm just seeing God and I'm worshiping Him and, and all of it just seems to like drift away. And the shame and the guilt that some of us are carrying around, we're able to lay it down because of Jesus, because of grace because of God's perfect goodness. It's one of the reasons why we start church with musical worship is this opportunity to engage with God and worship Him. Now you might be thinking, oh Ruthie, I know you, you probably just love it every Sunday. You probably come to church like, you know, super thrilled to like worship. You probably came out of the womb, happy clappy. It's just who you are. And I'll be honest, there are some Sundays I come here and I'm, I'm like in the zone. I'm like, I've had a week where I'm like, yes, God, you showed up. Like, it was cool. You're on the throne. I know you're on the throne. But I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of Sundays I come here and I'm like, I'm sorry, where's the throne? Is there a throne? God, are you still on it? Like, I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna praise. But God, I'm not feeling it. 
And in those moments, I lean into God's holiness as an act of obedience, an act of worship. I let my body lead me. I let my voice lead me because church, spiritual formation is often more about faithfulness than feelings. See, we're formed, we're changed in that moment with God, but it's not about whether we feel it or not. It's about the fact of like, God, I'm gonna keep showing up. God, I'm gonna worship you, you know, because this is true whether I feel it or not today, whether I've seen it this week in my life. You know what? The angels, night and day, holy, 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 they never stop. So I'm gonna enter in and I'm gonna worship you. And you know what? God is not changed by us hallowing His name, worshiping His name. God's not changed by that, but we are. It doesn't make him any more holy. (laughs) He is holy, but it changes us. It transforms us. And that leads me from proclamation of God's holiness to petition. Many theologians agree that actually this is primarily a petition. The first in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be be your name, or translated to God, make your name holy. It's a request of God. God, make your name holy in the world because the world needs it. The world needs to see not just a loving God, not just a just God and a forgiving God, but a holy God. Because that redemption that we long for the absolute transformation, the lives healed and restored, the city on a hill, it comes from God's holiness, from His perfect goodness, from His kindness. He is nothing like us. The world needs it. We need God to make His name holy and sometimes He does that by us partnering with Him. Sometimes we get so caught up in worship, so moved by God that we begin to incarnate our prayers. We become prayers with flesh on out in the world. Many years ago, I remember walking the streets of San Francisco long before I founded Because Justice Matters, which is a ministry for women and girls in the city. I remember walking the streets of San Francisco. I remember standing outside of strip clubs, I remember seeing women, seeing the needs of the city and just saying, let's just worship. Let's just just praise God. Let's just worship that God is still on that throne and God is good and God is worthy despite everything that we see around us. And I remember through that worship and through that prayer being, God, would you send some people to San Francisco? Would you send some people to this city that believe in women? that see women, that wanna elevate women, that wanna call women out and say, you are purpose, you're made in His image. We wanna see you step into everything that God has. Would you call those people? It was a few years in before I realised that I was one of those people. Have you ever found that when you're in worship? His desires become your desires. The things on His heart suddenly get stirred into your heart. You find yourself praying prayers and then you find yourself being invited to be the answer to those prayers, to be part of hallowing God's name, lifting it up. We see this in Isaiah 6. Isaiah has this encounter and he's like, woe is me. And then what happens? One of the seraphim, angel, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, 
which had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah's response to an encounter with God's holiness was to then say, send me, send me. Let me be part of going out into the world and hallowing your name. Church, is there a prayer on your heart this morning? that maybe you've just been asking God to do something in San Francisco, do something in your family. And is it possible that God's like, I want you to embody that prayer, the answer to that prayer. I want you to be part of hallowing my name, lifting up my name in San Francisco. It doesn't always have to be the big things. Sometimes it's the little things. Some of you are living out kingdom values in your workplace and you're wondering if it even matters. I wanna remind you this morning that you are hallowing his name. Some of you are raising your family, showing faithfulness in the ordinary, sleepless, tired, exhausting, loving that difficult family member, holding your tongue when you wanna give him everything that you've got. You are hallowing his name. Some of you are creating and serving. You're doing your own work of healing and restoration. And you're wondering, does this even matter in the big scope of things? Why even bother? This is demanding so much of me. And I wanna remind you, church, that you are hallowing His name in San Francisco. But secondly, and most importantly, I'd like to land here this morning. When we pray, hallowed be your name, We are asking for divine intervention. We are asking God to make his name holy. Church, when it comes down to it, this hallowed be thy name at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, it is four words of deep surrender and dependence and humility saying, God, we can't do it. It doesn't matter how many sermons are preached and you know, how many prayers are prayed and how good we live and all of the things. It doesn't really matter unless you come Jesus and make your name holy, nothing changes. So this is a prayer of surrender and petition. God, come do what we cannot do. Are there some places in your life right now where you're like, I don't know, I've tried everything. I mean, I'll keep praying, I'll keep being obedient, but God, I need you to show up. Here's the good thing. We have a God that wants to show up, that is gonna show up. In Ezekiel 38, God says, and so I will show my greatness and my holiness. And I will make myself known in the sight of many nations and they will know that I am the Lord. There is a work that only God can do and He loves to do it. Hallowed be your name. How would the city look different if God was honoured? How would your workplace or your community or your neighbourhood look different if God was honoured? It's a bold ask. It's a faith-filled request. It's the prayer of desperate people. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. We're gonna do something a little different this morning and purposely preaching a shorter sermon because as I was preparing for this, um, I'm gonna be honest with you, 
when Dave gave this to me and was like, cool, Ruthie, you've got hallowed be your name. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> like, teach a, preach a sermon on God's holiness. Hmm. Theologians have read about this stuff for generations. Books have been, like, how do you even begin to teach in 40 minutes on God's holiness? And as I sat with it, I just felt the Holy Spirit was like cautioning me, cautioning us as a community that it is easier to talk about the thing than do the thing. In this prayer series, guys, it's easy to just come to church and talk about the thing, talk about prayer, talk about what we need to do. But where it really matters is is actually practicing it. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna wrap up this sermon in just a moment. And we're actually gonna move into a time of worship. Now, if you're a regular here, you know we do this every week. We do a second set. And we have communion tables open and we have prayer team and we have carpets. And today we're gonna just hit pause on communion and the prayer team until after our first song. Because this is what I wanna invite you into. I wanna invite you into an encounter with God. I wanna invite you into a moment of worship where you cannot be distracted by trying to get down the aisles and can you get into the bathrooms and all of that stuff, but really just to hold this moment. And I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. For some of you, you're gonna feel very uncomfortable. We're gonna go into a very specific song that reflects that throne room, holy, holy, holy. And you're gonna be like, what do I do? What do I do? And I, I know that, I sometimes feel that too. And I think what it reveals is we're just so unfamiliar with this kind of encounter with God. And sometimes, you know what, church, it's easy to move into communion and it's easy to move move into a practice, but I think where we are transformed is a moment in His presence. And that's what we want to create space for. Go ahead and stand with me this morning if you can. Go ahead and close your eyes. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up and we're gonna move into this moment.